I'm your host, Seth Day. I use he, they pronouns, and you're listening to Rad Child Podcast. Hey folks, thanks for joining us for another episode of Rad Child Podcast. This week, we're talking a little bit about intersectionality by way of the mean connected, also a little bit about privilege. So uh, we're going to kind of jump into what those mean in a little bit. So yeah, I'm going to hand it over to our lovely guests. And we're going to start with our name, pronouns, where you're from, your relationship with kids, and your relationship with the theme of intersectionality and privilege. Good morning. Um, My name is Helena Brooke. I'm a relational therapist and mental health counselor in Arizona here in the United States. And my pronouns are she, her. With kids, um, my relationship with kids is that I get to play auntie to a lot of friends' kids. um, And I work with parents of young kids and of teens. And uh, I have taught college and grad school students in psychology and counseling. So the developmental uh, element is definitely there. And um, as far as my relationship with the theme, personally, I've had to grapple with a lot of the issues of intersectionality myself. And uh, my mentors have always noted that I am super into nuance, um, almost to a fault. So um, (laughs) I'm really excited to be here today and get a chance to unpack a lot of this stuff with both of you. Amazing. Hello, um, my name is Kim, uh, professionally known as Nanny Kimbo. My pronouns are they, them. I have worked with children in some capacity for about 20 years. I started out working in uh, nurseries and playgroups. And for the last 15 years, I've been a nanny. The past two years, I've also been working as a doula supporting uh, queer parents creating their families. So I am a queer person, came out as being trans, I think, three years ago now. Yeah, um, I'm also disabled and autistic. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, I think for me, the topic of intersectionality is really interesting because I, I think there is rarely representation in children's media of intersectionality i find often there's this idea that like you can't be more than one thing it's like too much you know what i mean like you can't like in a children's book right there couldn't be a character who is in a wheelchair and also wearing a hijab or like you know who is like queer and disabled like we were talking about right like it's for some reason it's like you can only be one thing in when you're represented in media which is just like so untrue of most people like most people have intersectional identities i think it's also a word that not everyone knows it's not like it's a new word but I mean I know personally the term of intersectionality you know I hadn't heard of it until maybe a couple of years ago and so I you know I think it's something that's not on everyone's radar so I'm excited to sort of get into it but before we do I'm curious if a kid has ever asked you a question that sort of uh you weren't prepared for the one uh my favorite one that I keep coming back to is um a kiddo, he was, uh, he was around five-ish, I think, five or six at the time. And um, it was uh, it was sometime in the, in the fall. And he wanted to know why, um, if lying is bad, but, you know, because he's Jewish and he doesn't, he doesn't believe in Santa, why should he lie to his friend who does, whose family is Christian? And there was this, I mean, this kid is like ethical to a fault. Like he's been like, He's like a little King Solomon or something. I don't know, but um, kind of that why is lying like appropriate sometimes and why do some people believe in Santa? There was like 10 questions in one. So yeah, that was that was a fun one to answer. But also like such a good question. And I think about that a lot. Like, 
uh, like sometimes I'll as a nanny, right, I'll be telling a kid like, oh, we don't do that. And then I'm like, but I totally do that. Like when, you know, like, for example, when we're crossing, I don't know why this is the first thing that's coming up for me. But when we're crossing the street, and I'll tell kids, we only cross the street when I call it the walking man, the little like, figure of the little guy walking I'm like we only cross the street when the walking man is showing right not when the red hand is showing because that's what tells you to stop and go here for pedestrians and then I'm like but I totally cross the street when there's a red light if there's no cars right so like I'm teaching kids things that are like we only ever do that and I'm like but that's not totally true yeah <laughs> and and you know that's obviously a safety thing right but I always think it's it's interesting sometimes that we tell kids things that like we don't even abide by ourselves. But of course, right, there's so much nuance and it's so much easier to just say we never lie than like, well, in these circumstances, it might be okay to lie. But but I think it's interesting that whole that whole kind of conundrum. Yeah, and I think kids can handle, sometimes there's that one side of it where sometimes a kid asks a question and we think it's a lot more complicated than they really mm-hmm. want. But then on the other side of it, Sometimes they ask something where we don't know whether they can, whether they can hold all of that nuance, but they, they can. Yeah, it's, it's totally true. Kids are definitely a lot smarter than we give them credit for most of the time. That is so very true. So my experience with that, um, it's one that I sort of, I quite like to, I like to raise it a lot because I talk a lot about being queer and being trans. And there was a family that I was working with and the children were having their afternoon nap. Um, which was always such a good thing for me when a seven-year-old goes down for a nap it's brilliant so both of them had gone up for a nap and I was just sat downstairs watching tv and I spilled a drink on my jeans and because the children were in bed I decided to just take my jeans off and stick them on the radiator and I was watching tv and out of the corner of my eye I saw something and it was the four-year-old she was just standing there staring at me and I was like oh how long have you been there for And she was kind of looking at me and I pulled the blanket over, you know, because I'm sitting there in my underwear. It's a little bit. And she sort of she was looking at me and she said to me, she said, Kimbo, why are you wearing pants like what daddy wears? And I was just like, "Um, well, because they're comfortable. And she sort of looked at me and then she said, Kimbo, are you a boy or are you a girl? And I was like, wow shoot I hadn't really thought about that and to be honest she wasn't really actually interested in the answer because all she wanted was a cup of milk but you know she she raised this question that was completely innocuous to her that forced me to really look at myself and come to the realization that actually I might be trans and uh yeah it kind of you know shook my whole world Um, And I'm, you know, I'm grateful that she did it because she asked it in such an innocent way. It wasn't a loaded question at all, but it really made me look at myself and, you know, realize that actually I am trans and that's okay. Yeah, I think it's funny, like when you were saying it wasn't a loaded question, because like if that had come from an adult, it would have been a totally different situation. Yeah. Right. If someone had stopped you on the street and been like, are you a boy or a girl? Like it would have been, which has happened to me many times, right? It's like, it would have been totally different. But when it comes from a kid, it's just like out of a place of pure curiosity. Most of the time, it's not out of this place of malice or they don't have like, you know, uh, ulterior motives, right? And so I think when those questions or statements come from kids, it's just like, it's it's totally different the way that it it sort of hits you. Yeah, definitely. I wanted to sort of dive into it now and just start by talking about like, what is intersectionality? Before we start talking about it, right, let's kind of define it. Yeah, so to me, I'm glad that we're, we're defining it because a lot of people use the word or 
like kind of have a guess at it, but um, sometimes they've only heard it in use, but not really, not really the definitions. And so when we, when we talk about what things mean, um, that's really important just to sort of maintain access to this stuff, because I know that I learned about intersectionality um, in a very academic setting. And um, I think that's a really privileged way to go about it, but I'm getting ahead of myself because I think we'll talk about that in a little bit. To me, intersectionality is where like we we belong to a lot of different communities based on different facets of our identity. And um, when all of those pieces of our identity line up, it um, it gives us a unique layered, essentially a piece of art, you know, of who who we are and all of these things that come mm. together um, for how we move through the world and how we're seen and what values and what expectations and what challenges have informed um the way that we relate to the world around us. But at the at the same time, in addition to all that beautiful stuff, it also it also informs where there are walls and ceilings up for everyone and mm. um and how profound those walls and ceilings are and whether whether we can, you know, get past them and whether whether there's access to um to remediating those barriers and also how hard we have to work to prove that we are um, deserving of being in a space or having an opportunity versus other people who might be coming in with a different set of layered identities. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was a really, a really good explanation. Yeah. So I, what Helena was saying there about it being art, it made me think of, um, there's a Venn diagram that's floating around on the internet. That's quite beautiful. Just the way it's all interwoven like that. I guess for me, I tend to look at it as a roadmap you know, just how things cross over, um, privilege and oppression and how, you know, sometimes you have lines that are parallel. Sometimes you have lines that cross are crossed over repeatedly, but yeah, um, that's, I guess that's how it looks for me. I'm such a visual person. So I really like that visual. There's actually a really great kids book. I'm getting ahead of myself on the recommendations part, but it's called intersection allies. We make room for all. And so it's a book about intersectionality for kiddos. And, uh, it is by Chelsea Johnson, Latoya council and Carolyn Choi. It's a great, great book. Um, and I'm actually going to talk about it for, for listeners. We're going to talk about it, uh, next week in our way to go in room to grow episode, but again, getting ahead of myself. The reason that I'm, I wanted to talk about this book is because there's actually a really good definition of intersectionality in the back of the book. It has a lot of like great back matter. And I wanted to sort of read that because I thought it was a good, if I can find it, here we go. And there's also, like you were saying, I'm sure it's not the same one. It, there's a really great Venn diagram in the back of this book also. And so it says, intersectionality is a word that explains how all the different parts of a person combine to affect their life experiences and personal identity. Age, ability, skin color, religion, citizenship, body size, and culture all make up our personal identity and influence who we are and how we live. And there's a little bit more to that, plus the Venn diagram. But I thought that was a good a good kind of basic way to explain it to both kids and adults. <laughs> we were talking about this in our last Way to Go in Room to Grow episode, which is the episodes where we, uh, my co-host Rebecca and I, talk about our favorite books about the topics that we talk about. There's this 
idea that like kids books are only for kids. And I think that like kids books are actually really great at explaining things. And sometimes they're really helpful even for adults. Like when I would be working with families of different religions, uh, sometimes, you know, I I would want to learn about a holiday or something. I would just go get a kid's book about it (laughs) because like they tell you the basics of like what happens, how do we celebrate? What's the point of the holiday? Right. Without being like, here's my 30 page thesis on Hanukkah. So I think that they're actually really helpful. Uh, I actually had an experience recently where the mother of the twins that I nanny is uh, a nurse. She's a nurse and she's going, she's in school currently to become uh, uh, what do they call it? Nurse practitioner. Here they call it a super nurse. She, it, it's really amazing. The program that she's in it ha- is really awesome and is like, uh, she has a lot of readings about like how to, what are the best practices for uh, serving, you know, queer folks. And so that she was had an article about this and she had some questions about sort of the differences between like what is identity versus, you know, expression and kind of this and that. And I literally came the next day with a children's book. I was like, let's all I'll sit down together and we sat down with the kids and we read the book together and I was like here's your explanation because like this is the most simple way to explain it and it's got nice pictures <laughs> so talking a little bit about you know the the intersection of intersectionality and privilege I want to talk a little bit about like what you know what is privilege like what does that mean yeah privilege that's a it's it's such a it's such a hot button word and it shouldn't be I think a lot of times when people hear privilege, they automatically get defensive because, mm-hmm. you know, they, they think that they've done something wrong. And and that's not the case at all. Privilege is, is just the name for the context that all of us live in that we pretty much didn't have a choice in. And especially, you know, children didn't have a say in whether they were born to queer parents or black or brown parents or or whether they or a family member is um, is navigating uh, financial issues or mm-hmm. disabilities. Uh, the fact is that it just, it gives a name to um, the experience of the difference between when some people might have like access to a venue or a resource or being treated with um, more respect than others based on based on the various layers of their identity. I guess that's that's what I would say about privilege. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to sort of echo that. And, you know, it's, it's basically an advantage that you have that you didn't earn. That's exactly how I was going to define it. That's so funny. <laughs> so I, I was watching a video earlier, one that I'll recommend in a little while, that sort of talks about how how to explain privilege to children and you know and it it was talking about basically having a jungle gym that some kids just aren't tall enough to play on you know they can't reach the monkey bars because they're not tall enough and it's not their fault Mm. that they're not tall enough and the people who are tall enough it's not their fault either but you know it's I quite liked that that sort of way of defining it as the short kid who literally couldn't reach some of the, okay, when I'm, I'm under five feet tall, I was always very small. And um, when I was a kid, there was like a glider, like in the, like a thing that you hold onto and like it, it, it glides across to another platform and I could never reach it. And every year the teachers were like, next year you'll be tall enough next year. And I was never tall oh. enough in my five years of school to reach it. So that resonates with me, <laughs> but it's, it's funny that you, the way you define it is exactly how I was going to define it. And it's a definition that I actually is from that. I, I mean, I got from uh, there's a book, there's a publishing company called a kid's book about, and they have books about all different kinds of all, 
all the topics that we talk about here. Like um, there's one about systematic racism. That's really good. There's one about body image. Like they cover all all different kinds of things, disability, divorce, you know, all these topics. Uh, But they have one about white privilege, kids book about white privilege. And that's exactly how they define it in there. They sort of define privilege and then they talk about specifically what white privilege looks like. But I really like that kind of simple definition of just like an advantage that, you know, someone hasn't earned. I was going to say, it's it's such a loaded word. And it's, yeah. you know, people are so reactionary when when mm-hmm. privilege comes up. I mean, I, I remember my own sort of before I sort of started working on this kind of thing. Um, you know, I remember when people would tell me I'm privileged that I'm like, I grew up in poverty. How am I possibly privileged? And, you know, it's it's really difficult to sort of unpick all of those things until you really sort of analyze it and you have to really look at yourself but yeah it's it's definitely one of those sort of one of those words you have to be really careful with yeah well I think that's what I liked about not to turn this into like a book review but that's what I liked about that book was that it also says like like hey like you can you know it was these books are always coming like from the author's perspective so the author is like yeah like I grew up poor and I grew up this and I grew up that but like being white still gives me certain privileges that like you know certain but like it just because you have one kind of privilege doesn't mean you aren't, you know, you don't have privileges in other places. You know what I mean? But I have someone in my family who's very much like that. They're like, well, my life is hard, so I can't be privileged. And I'm like, okay, but that's not, that's not what it means. <laughs> and, and that's why it's so, it's such a shame that, that people who don't understand it push away the idea of intersectionality because mm-hmm. when you, when you know what that means, um, if somebody says, well, you know, I, I grew up this way or I have this other concern, but I'm white or but I'm Christian or whatever, whatever dominant culture they, you know, they're also mm-hmm. crap, like living with the privilege of, you can say, well, there's room for all of you. Yep. Um, the whole you is here. And yes, these things are true. And in these cases, um, you, you've, you've had these obstacles and in these other cases you have these privileges and that's just part of the constellation of your life. And oh, I and love that has a unique stamp, you know, like I'm Jewish. And so I'm the target of anti-Semitism. It's gotten pretty severe these yeah. days, especially with the political climate, mm-hmm. but am I going to get pulled over by the police and risk and risk bodily harm? No, because I have very light skin, you know, and, yeah. and, um, People who people with darker skin don't have that luxury um, doesn't mean that I don't have anti you know experience anti-Semitism for example. So if people who who balked and bristled at privilege understood intersectionality, they would know that the whole them gets to be here. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I love that idea about being a constellation. Yeah, that's that's quite lovely actually. I like that. I often come come up against people who say, you know, I'm. I'm a white man, but I'm not privileged because I grew up in poverty. And then I just say to them, yes, but your poverty wasn't because of the colour of your skin. I mean, some people get it when, when you sort of put it down like that. Some people get it. But then, you know, some people are just defensive no matter what. And they just don't want to see it because they see that having privilege is a bad thing and that they're a bad person for having it. And I feel like that's where the problem comes in. But I, I think that what's so interesting is just like, like everybody has privilege, some kind of privilege, even a black man has male privilege, right? Like, you know, and it's a different male privilege than a white man. But I th- I just think it's interesting how people get so different. I'm like, literally everyone in the world has some kind of privilege. If you really break it down, it's not like a bad, again, it's like, it's no one's like, uh, and one of you is saying like, it's no one's fault 
that you are, a t- you know, I think it was Kimmy when you were giving the tall versus short thing. It's yeah. like, it's not your fault that you're tall and you can reach the jungle gym, but like that's still a privilege you have. But uh, so um, we talked a little bit already about uh, sort of the what intersectionality kind of the, its relationship to privilege. And um, you mentioned some of your intersectional identities. And I'm curious, you know, how the intersection of those identities, you know, kind of come comes together for you or affects you? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think, I guess as as adults, um, sometimes we have the luxury of choosing the spaces that we move through, whereas kids really don't have that mm-hmm. that sort of autonomy. And so in many ways, I live in, in circles where um, my privilege is a lot more accessible than, 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 than my oppressions. Um, Mm -hmm. but they're still there. And as a therapist, for example, you know, we'll have discussions. I'll just, this is a really nuanced one. So, so I've been doing activism for, um, the bi pan queer sort of everyone, everyone who's uh, attracted to people of more than one gender community, um, for a long, long time. And way before I became a therapist. And I remember, um, you know, there was there was a long time there in the public discourse where we uh, we couldn't really get the point across that there were like nuanced sets of privilege and oppression that sort of come up when people in the bi community aren't counted. And um, mm-hmm. the idea, for example, that people um, people tend to guess your orientation based on who you're with when it's not necessarily who you're with totally. is who you are, or um, assuming that an identity is privileged when really there are obstacles like um, higher mental health concerns and things like that. And then mm-hmm. it's a similar one when you layer in, uh, I have um, I have an uh, invisible disability. I have a motor coordination issue since I was really, really little, but you can't see it when I, I mean, when I literally walk through the community, you know, um, and, uh, but you see it when I'm trying to do fine motor tasks. Um, mm-hmm. Same thing with the Jewish thing, hiding in plain sight, but still, you know, the constant microaggressions and sort of that message that we don't have a seat at the table. Um, So, you know, just the idea that, what do you mean Jews have obstacles? It's like, well, we do. And and (laughs) we work very hard at the art and science of blending, you know, but it, it hurts because it's like, we, we know what we go through, but sometimes we're not welcome at the, at the social justice table because we're not believed about the obstacles we have. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a good point. And I, there is this kind of weird oppression hierarchy sometimes. Yeah. Like you're not oppressed enough or what it's so, and I think you find that in a lot of communities, like in the trans community too, there's this whole like, well, you're not trans enough, like with some people. So yeah, that's a whole, that's a whole nother episode. Um, But like, yeah, I think there's this weird hierarchy sometimes of like, you're not whatever enough. I think that's part of how our oppressors keep us oppressed is when there's infighting between oppressed groups, we can't, you know, rise up and take over our oppressors. Yeah. So my my sort of intersection, so uh, being queer, being trans, being disabled, and most of my sort of disabilities are invisible. Um, Mm -hmm. I have a chronic pain issue and hypermobile joints that you don't tend to see. Sometimes you you can see how much pain I'm in by, you know, how I'm wincing just walking down the street. But for the most part, Mm. it's invisible. I also have uh, autism. And until about two days ago, I believed, based on a diagnosis, that I had borderline personality disorder. It's a whole thing, but I've now realised that I was almost certainly misdiagnosed oh my gosh. Um, 15 years ago. 
yeah, it's it's quite common apparently for people who are assigned female at birth to be misdiagnosed as having borderline personality disorder rather than having autism. It's it's kind of knocked me sideways. I've been doing a lot of research into it the past sort of 48 hours, but it's it's been really difficult sort of living with that sort of label but I felt like I'd managed to cope with it. And now suddenly it might well be that that label isn't actually correct. And I'm sort of, I'm like, I'm not sure I know how to live not being borderline really. (laughs) Um, If that makes sense even. Yeah, no, totally. I, as a, as a therapist, can I just pop in and say like that issue of like overdiagnosis and misdiagnosis with BPD Mm -hmm. and the and equally awful issue of, of BPD being conceptualized as a personality disorder in the first place. Those are huge, huge issues. And like, I, I know we're, we're talking mostly about like, you know, um, uh, kids and intersectionality and privilege, but that particular label is a way to really invalidate the lived experiences of a lot of people and to essentially yeah. take a trauma, which is outside of someone, which happens to them, mm-hmm. um, or or a, a disposition that you're born with or that forms in, in who you are in your early years, that there might not be anything wrong with at all. That, you know, when you look at it, um, those behaviors and reactions and responses are logical. They make sense, you know, and to frame that as something that instead of being wrong with the discourse in society, being wrong with you or to you know the other one is the idea that therapists like borderline is code for difficult client for a yeah. lot of therapists who don't own their own stuff you know and um and I'm so sorry you're going through that and also I'm so grateful that you've said something today because I would imagine that you know how many listeners probably also have experienced something like that because you know, you can't, you can't walk down, it it feels like you can't walk down the street these days without meeting yet another person who's had that diagnosis or another diagnosis weaponized against them. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's a, that's a privilege issue as well. I think therapists, unfortunately, we have a lot of, we have a lot of privilege and um, unearned authority in that relationship. And um, some therapists use it in a beautiful, safe way, but, but some are harmful. And I'm, I'm so sorry that you went through that, like on behalf of my whole profession. It's, I mean, when I, when I was given the diagnosis, it kind of made sense based on what I understood. But then sort of the more I've, the more I was learning about it, the more I was sort of questioning it. And then I attended a Zoom workshop thing about trans fertility and one of the doctors was actually saying that AFAB trans people are overdiagnosed as having, he called it EUPD, which is um, Emotionally Unstable Personality Disorder, um, the original name. And it just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was like, well, <laughs> that's, uh, that kind of puts a lot of that stuff into perspective for me. Because actually coming out as trans alleviated all of my sort of borderline behavior if you will in inverted commas um so all of my behaviors that were put down to being borderline pretty much disappeared overnight when I came out as being trans one of the things you were saying Helena that I that struck me also as like the level of privilege that like a therapist has this sort of authority um like over you know their patients I feel like also there's this 
I don't know, I'm thinking about this, I think, because my wife is dealing with this in school where she is going back to school as a 30 year old in a program where everyone is like 17. Mm -hmm. And she's like, people don't realize that they can like question the teachers, that they can say like, no, what you're teaching isn't right. Or like, don't treat me that way or whatever. But it's just like, no, someone in authority, like when you're young, most of the time we have this idea that it's like, well, someone in authority said something again, this idea of like adults or listen to adults. Like, no, don't always listen to adults. We don't know everything. We're not always right. But like, you know, there's this, this weird idea of just like, oh, if someone, like if my doctor tells me something, then like that must be true. And like, as I've had to, you know, go through so much to be able to go to my doctor and be like, no, like, I don't think that's what's going on. And I want to speak to someone else or I want to, you know, I, you know what I mean? But I feel like a lot of times we just take what people in authority say for granted. And I think that is a privileged thing. Right? And with children, I mean, you see it in these studies of um, preschool and early grade school, we send the kids off to school. And, you know, it's expected that, you know, they, they play nice and that they do what they're told. And, in many ways, because of safety issues, as well as the fact that there might be 20 children in the classroom or something. But then, you know, if, if, a, if a little, um, if, if a child who's identified as like a little white girl does something wrong, the teacher might conceptualize that as, oh, she's tired. Oh, she needs a snack. Oh, somebody was taunting her, took her toy. And if a little black boy does the exact same behavior, mm-hmm. he's aggressive. He's... Yep he needs to be in special ed, you know, and and the idea that we tell children this, these two stories that in their, in their, you know, brand new, excited about the world mind, you know, they have to cope with like, I need to trust and yield to this person. But what they're saying doesn't feel like they see me and like they're treating me kindly. How do we, how do we manage that with the kiddos? Yeah, I think that's a really, that's a really great question. And I think, you know, I think it's hard because as the adult, unless you're the teacher, you're not always seeing what's going on in the classroom or knowing about it. And I think like if a kid, you know, was, and kids are like very observant and aware of the things that are going on around them. And I think like if a kid came to me and said like, hey, like I was treated this way, but my friend was treated this way. And like, that's weird. You know, I think that that those moments are a great moment to talk about to open up the discussion about privilege, right? And then as the adult, like, I mean, I'm the kind of person who would then go to the teacher and be like, excuse me. (laughs) Not that that's everyone's responsibility. But I'm just a sassy New Yorker who is like, excuse me, don't do that. Check your privilege woman. Yeah, I think that those kinds of real life scenarios are great opportunities to talk about these things with kids. Hey folks, thanks for joining us for another episode of Rad Child Podcast. So again, just a reminder that we currently have a Kickstarter for the third season of Rad Child Podcast to help us get the funds. We are currently 100% funded, which is so exciting. But of course, with a little bit extra money, we could do so much more. So our stretch goals involve things like being able to transcribe our episodes so that deaf and hard of hearing folks and folks with other access needs can have access to our episodes. With a little bit more cash, we'll also be able to fund our annual book drive, uh, which gets books, kids' books in the hands of folks who need them. So any way you're able to help, either by donating or sharing our Kickstarter on social media or with friends and family, uh, that would really help us out. And you can do that by going to kickstarter.com and just searching Bradchild Podcast Season 3. 
And as always, we want to remind you to check out a kidsbookabout.com. They have some really, really awesome books uh, about all kinds of topics, the things that we cover here, like divorce, race. Uh, they have one about white privilege, systematic racism, um, all different kinds of things. So definitely, definitely check them out at www.akidsbookabout.com. And if you use the code RADCHILD2021, you can get $5 off. So definitely check them out. Uh, we also want to, of course, give a shout out to the Upford Network, which is the network that we're a part of. They produce really great shows, and you should definitely check them out at www.upfordnetwork.com. Other than that, it's just the usual stuff. So, of course, uh, you can follow us on social media at Radchild Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can do so either by emailing us at radchildpodcast at gmail.com or by going to www.radchildpodcast.com and uh, just going to the contact us section. Under that section, there's also information about how to be a guest. So if you're interested in that, definitely check that out. We're always looking for guests for tons of upcoming topics. And in addition to our Kickstarter, we also have something called a Patreon, which basically is a way for you to make monthly donations as opposed to a one-time donation on a Kickstarter. So if you'd like to support us in a recurring way, that really helps us out to be able to cover our costs in sort of a more long-standing way. So you can do that by going to www.patreon.com and just searching Radchild Podcast. And basically how it works is you pick a tier. So for example, you could choose to pay $1 a month, $5 a month, $10 a month, etc. Um, and for every one of those tiers, you get different benefits. So for example, for $1 a month, you get access to uh, bloopers. Um, every other month, we uh, send out uh, some some bloopers, which is mostly me telling silly stories, um, because I get off track sometimes. <laughs> um, and then uh, we also, for example, for $5 a month, you can get bloopers plus uh, a monthly coloring page designed by my wife, Catherine Gilbert, who also edits our Way to Go Room to Grow episodes. So yeah, definitely check that out. You can get all sorts of cool things. Um, and also help us out, which is great. So anyway, I'm going to hand it over to Rebecca and Crystal and we'll get back to the show. Do you wish more picture books truly reflected your family's values? Have you ever thought you found the perfect book, but when you got it home, it completely missed the mark? Shift Book Box is a picture book subscription service for kids ages three to eight, built around themes of social justice and centering diverse characters and creators. Each box features two beautiful picture books as well as expertly crafted discussion guides. We know that families want to engage kids in conversations about social justice topics, and we recognize how challenging it can be to find the right books and to feel supported in having these conversations. We find the books. We provide the prompts. You get both delivered to your door. Subscribe today at shiftbookbox.com and use the code RADCHILD. RADCHILD. All one word. RADCHILD. RADCHILD. For 10% off your first order. Shift Bookbox. Curating little libraries. Cultivating big change. So I, I sort of want to jump into, uh, you know, talking to kids about these things that we sort of, you know, talked about, you know, I feel like the definitions that we we gave are definitions that kids could understand, you know, they're sort of simplified of privilege and intersectionality. But I sort of want to go back to, you know, we were talking about the idea of privilege, not meaning that your life, you know, your life can still be hard and you can have privilege. Like, how do we explain that to a kid? You know, I'm, I'm just imagining, you know, a child who's living in poverty and telling them, well, like, you have privileges. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how do we explain to kid, uh, to a kid that like, what that, you know, how that, uh, the intersection of that kind of works? I think it, 
it really depends on the context that we're explaining it mm. because like I've noticed two things. One is if we're trying to explain privilege while they're grappling with an obstacle, it could come off really invalidating. Yeah. But a way to kind of get around that is to sort of punctuate that validation of the harder stuff. Like maybe they're in poverty and maybe one of their parents struggles with um, uh, their relationship with substances, let's say. Contrasting the privilege with um, with the obstacle, but then holding like some extra space for the obstacle, you can you can validate um, one thing while teaching and helping stretch in another way at the same time. And I think children are open to that kind of complexity. The other thing I noticed um, when teaching privilege, when um, the child is not, or even the adult that you're talking to is not um, actively grappling with with a with a situation related to one of one of the layers of oppression they have is you have this privilege but instead of just sort of letting that ring out pairing it with a call to action like your friend doesn't you know how can we help how can we help bobby you know have what you have like using your voice in a way that helps people kids naturally want to do that most of the yeah. time Giving them a call to action with it kind of brings it back down to the ground and uh, and really helps them sort of connect with with being a good citizen and a good steward of, of, of that privilege. Yeah, I think that's that's really great. And I think uh, like you're saying, like, I feel like kids are often like natural helpers, like they want to help people. And so I like that idea. And also, like, I'm the kind of person who's like who wants to want a practical solution for something. So I'm like, okay, great. I have this privilege, but like, what can I do? Yeah. <laughs> and and so I really like, I like that idea. And I think that that could be a really great, like, like almost like a family project or a thing that you work on or like, how can we use our privilege, right? For, you know, for good. I think that that's something that's really important for everybody to think about, you know, including kids. Children are far more perceptive than many people give them credit for. You know, I, I talk about all these sorts of things um, with children all the time. But in in a way that they can understand, you know, you have to make it relatable to them. Like, for example, the yeah. jungle gym example. Yeah. And I, I find that if if you approach these things in a sort of, you know, in a child friendly manner, then it's it's much easier. Um, you know, as Helena was saying, you can't sort of you can't remind a child of their privilege whilst they're struggling with something because that's just not fair. You know, these things don't exist in a vacuum either. Um, so yeah. it's. It's, you know, it's a, it's a context thing, as Helena was saying, you know, you have to sort of be in the right moment to be able to talk about these things. I think I feel like I, I don't know what schools are like where you guys are, but we have like a circle time, you know, where we, we have a space where we can talk about just stuff. Some some schools, they use it to talk about feelings and stuff. Um, and I feel like this kind of conversation is really good for circle time. Oh, I love that here. To me, like in my understanding of circle time here, it's more just like we sing some songs yeah. uh, together. <laughs> That's what circle time is from my like United yeah. States Canadian perspective. It's just like usually it's with younger kids and we just like sing a song together. And But I love that idea of having a moment built into the day to just like talk about stuff. That sounds awesome. I mean, I think this is this is kind of a silly question based on the conversation we've already had. But do you think that intersectionality and privilege are like too complicated of, of concepts for kids to understand? I, I think the three of us are in good company that we, we really <laughs> you know, uh, don't rob that that sense from children away from them. I mean, they're, they're yeah. full opinions with 
with all of this stuff inside them already. Mm-hmm. They're just they're just finding language for it and making connections. So it's it's not too complicated, I don't think. There was a a post the other day that was like it was talking specifically about the patriarchy and it was like you know if you think patriarchy is t- too big of a word for kids so is tyrannosaurus <laughs> i was just like <laughs> i love that so much like oh my gosh and i want to i want to credit that because that was from uh, for the first first conversation instagram uh they they have some great some great books i think they have one about gender and i'm not sure what the other one is about uh, but they have great kids books but anyway i really like that idea of just like kids learn big words all the time and big concepts like we can teach them big words and concepts it's going to be okay (laughs) kids really understand a lot it's just about how you phrase it yeah absolutely so I uh just kind of want to close things up by asking if you have any resources uh for this topic so could be for kids or adults could be kids books or tv shows websites really anything you can think of yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a unique one out there my good friend Yafi Lavova she is a registered dietitian um, in the states and she her uh, her business baby bloom nutrition um, does a lot with with kids and sort of you know eating and uh, making making food and things fun and accessible and one of the things I really love about her is that in uh, I think one of the intersections we did not talk about today has to do with body size and body mm-hmm. and things like that which um, speaking intersectionally like that can be a lot worse for kids who are gender expansive or kids who yeah. um, are part of the neurodiverse community. And, um, and so she does a lot that's really inclusive with those things. And so um, she has a book called beyond a bite that helps make um, laughter, your mealtime soundtrack. And the next <laughs> And she's adding in a ton of stuff that's specifically geared toward neurodiverse kids and families. Mm. And I feel like we, we talk so much about, you know, things in theory, but stuff like mealtime and snack time and nap time and all of those things can be, you know, those, those are places where we can actively live these values. And, yeah. um, you know, so, so I wanted to give a plug for that. I'm going to give you a link also yeah. to my, uh, to my medium.com page. Okay. Um, as a therapist, I write a lot about um, practical issues related to intersectionality mm-hmm advocacy for for adults teens and kids um who might be neurodiverse or be saddled with a stigmatized diagnosis amazing thank you so much during the uh first lockdown here which was march last year i decided that i was going to do some story time because you know kids love stories i i mainly get my books from charity shops because mm-hmm. um you know just because and I picked up sort of a, a stack of books and I was going through them, looking at which ones were good to read. And I just, I noticed that, you know, that they're, they're, they're all white. They are so white. They are so cis. They're so <laughs> het. And so, you know, I, I purposely went out looking for diverse books. And I think so far, my favourite that I've come across um, is the Mia Mayhem series by an author named Cara West. The books are really great. They're sort of short, but really, they're really good stories and they're really short. The uh, Little Feminist series is a really good mm. one as well. And the, you know, the the one that's like the, they have like one about families and one about hair, that one. Yeah. And then there's yeah. the uh, Little People Big Dreams as well, which is. Oh, yeah. 
Yes, there's like all, it's like all people throughout. There's like one about Amelia Earhart and one yeah. about like Rosa Parks, like all about people in history. And the illustrations are so cute. Yeah, they yeah. really are. But I, I actually just found out about the little, the little feminist. So, uh, just for our listeners, little feminist is, uh, it's called Little Feminist Book Club, and they are uh, like a monthly subscription service. So they'll send you like one or two, depending books a month, and you could let you sign up. I'm actually subscribed to them. I just did it a couple of days ago because I found out I because I found out about well I'm getting ahead of myself they also basically created a book series that uh, that Kim was talking about that's three books that are board books for younger kids that have uh, pictures of real kids and families one is all about different uh, it's called on the go it's about about different uh, abilities one is called families it's about different families that one is awesome there's like a pregnant trans man in that book like they're super awesome and then uh, the last one is about hair so it's about like different textures of hair and different kind of hair um and they're all like super diverse super intersectional i'm actually gonna be talking about them in the next episode a little bit but they that's a really good i would definitely check out uh their services on their those books you can just buy the books separately um you can either buy all three of them or buy them individually uh, but you don't need to subscribe to buy those books but yeah they're really really good yeah that's the first time well it, with the exception of there's another book uh called the everybody book by rachel simon who's actually been on the po- podcast um she, uh, and that's a book about uh, like puberty and sex and all that kind of stuff. And that was the first time that I saw a book where like a pre- pregnant trans man was illustrated. And I was like, yes, <laughs> like, oh my gosh. And like, there were even just like, you know, the, the regular pictures of just like, uh, when it was the sex chapter, it was like two men in bed. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> like two men can have sex, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but anyway, so that, that was, those are all really, really great books. So do you have any uh, personal sort of personal plugs or uh, websites or things like that where people can find you as well? You know, if you want to be found on the internet, like social media, that kind of stuff. I am uh, in the process of launching my uh, private practice, which is called Recourse Counseling. And um, and I do a lot with people who have been harmed by or um, had distressing experiences in healthcare and therapy. And I also work with, um, with teens uh, and families with young kids. So I'm going to give you that link. And then you can find me um, at Recourse Counseling on um, Instagram and Pinterest and uh, Facebook. And then through my name, Helena Brooke, on medium.com and also uh, answering advice questions related to the therapy relationship and things like that um, on Quora.com. That's Q-U-O-R-A. Yeah, I think that's the first Pinterest plug we've ever had. I I love Pinterest so much. I like it because I get so many... Many of my, you know, my my clients and friends, and uh, just come up with these really cool self care and parenting mm-hmm. ideas and stuff. And they might have gotten them on Pinterest, or they might be out there somewhere. And that gives me a chance to sort of curate and showcase a lot of that stuff. Yeah. And you know, really center the fact that, you know, therapists don't have all the answers, but we can yes. we can definitely amplify other people's voices. So absolutely. Absolutely. I use it personally for myself for all of my like kid, you know, I have like a theme every week with the kids I nanny. And so I have like, you know, like a f- one for farm activities and one for numbers. Activities. But oh my gosh, I use it so much. Just shout out to Pinterest, I guess. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh my gosh, Kim, did you have any any plugs or where people can find you? Me in general, um, I am at Nanny Kimbo on Instagram. I share a lot of sort of the activities and stuff that I do with children. On Facebook, um, I have a page, The Queer Doula. And I've just recently, um, in the last couple of months, launched the Queer Parenting Partnership with a colleague of mine. And we are providing um, LGBT-specific antenatal and postnatal sessions for parents Mm -hmm. in the UK. Because until we started it, that didn't exist here, unfortunately. I think I think that's what I mean, that's part of the reason that I started this project. I think a lot of people are just like, well, this doesn't exist. We're just going to have to make it like I'm just going to have to be the person who does it. And so thank you for being one of those people, <laughs> because that definitely, uh, you know, needs to exist. But anyway, uh, that's about it for me and my questions. So thank you both so much for being here. And remember, stay rad. Hi, I'm Howard Mitnick, host of Gateway Music. Join me as I talk with people about the artists and albums that changed their lives and about the artists and albums that changed mine. Available on the Upford Network and wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, my name is Stefan and I am the host of a show called Some Good Friends and it's a podcast and it will make you laugh and we talk to some of my good friends and they're crazy and hilarious and wacky and you're gonna love them just as much as i do currently while i'm recording this i forgot to mute all my other takes so i'm hearing myself say different words in my ears the show comes out every monday weekly